Welcome back to the Wrong Advice Podcast. I'm your host, John Picciuto, and I'm very excited to have my new friend, Dean Hinnon, on the line with us today. Dean, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, John. Thanks for having me. Uh, no problem, man. I'm super excited to have you on the podcast today. Can you uh, go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, uh, my name's Dean. Uh, I'm a photographer. Um, I've been making photos for uh, a few years, but really kind of leaned leaned into it significantly the past year and a half. And um, yeah, it's just a blast. I, I really love it. It's been great. So you and I met on Twitter, which I think is just such a wildly awesome slash hilarious thing about life. Um, and we've had the the pleasure of speaking in a couple Twitter spaces, which for those listeners who don't know, it's sort of like in uh, chat room, but with people talking sort of like the clubhouse version of Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. And I was sort of blown away with like a lot of your intentional thoughts on NFT space, on art creation. Um, and I, we just sort of had like a very similar journey into how we kind of became full uh, time photographers. Um, I'm hoping that you can kind of just sort of uh, go through the process of like what led you to this point in your life today. Um, and, you know, what the journey looked like for you going from, you know, Dean, the 18 year old to Dean, the man who's now a full time photographer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, wow. Uh, all right. Yeah, I'm totally done to do that. Um, yeah, I, I never really thought that I would be a photographer growing up. Like as a kid, photography was always a piece of my life. Um, it was a piece of my family. Um, I think like many 90s kids, the sort of Kodak phone saver cameras, the wind-up ones, uh, were pretty <clears throat> ever-present at family gatherings and whatnot. Mm-hmm. My great-aunt was a photojournalist, and she was sort of the, uh, I would say, the one that took up the mantle of making sure that that people were always making photos of things. Um, and so growing up, anytime there was a family gathering, <clears throat> you know, I would help her by photographing things. And then the following event or the next event that we had, whether it was a birthday party or a dinner or whatever, um, I would get to see the photos from the previous time that we connected or the previous time that relatives got together. Mm -hmm. So from like an early age, I developed um, a link between making photos um, and, you know, the community of family, you know, relatives, um, people's lives sort of being connected, even though they don't all live underneath the same roof. Um, and of course this is looking back on it, you know, at at a young age, I wasn't having these epiphanies. Um, (laughs) you know, I'm not a, I I don't think I'm a creative genius. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, or at least I don't want to, I don't want to like falsely label myself one, but, um, yeah, I, I just, in general, I just loved it. Like I've always been a super visual person. Um, and I was always drawn towards reading, writing books, um, I, I didn't like, even as a kid, like I never had piles of toys and shit in my bed. It was always books. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've just been a sponge pretty much my whole life. And, uh, yeah. So, you know, photography was kind of always around. And then, um, I had some life things happen when I was 18, 19, um, just some stuff that went on and, um, you know, it was kind of a hard reset <clears throat> for me and who I am. And so I decided, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna work. I'm just gonna do something crazy and, 
uh, start traveling for work and make as much money as I can. And I really, I was just trying to uh, bury or like hide away that, um, that obviously, you know, there were some things that had been hurting. Mm-hmm. Um, that only worked for a little while. And so what I did when I was 20 was uh, I saved up and went backpacking for six months. Oh, uh, with a, yeah, with a humanitarian organization. And um, I just felt like I needed to go someplace and do something where I wasn't getting something. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like I needed to <clears throat> not really like cleanse myself or pay penance or something, but I just felt like the best thing to do would be to go and just do something for other people without any real gain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the experience pretty much being the main thing I would be taking, um, you know, from their time and from my time. So I backpacked like all around America, um, all throughout the United States, uh, out in the PNW and the Dakotas and Yellowstone, ended up on the Appalachian Trail for a little while, and then I was in Spain for eight weeks. Wow. So during this whole process, I was with a group of about 10 or 11 other people, and it was a blast. I was just living off of 20 pounds of supplies on my back. It was absolutely incredible. It was so fun. Um the only downside though was, uh, I was very broke and like, I just, I didn't come from a family where, um, you know, I could just get in essence sponsored to have a bunch of things. So I had no camera, uh, everybody else had cameras. And, um, what was interesting was when the trip ended, uh, I got photos back, but they were everybody else's photos. Mm -hmm. And so I have all these folders, these files full of, pictures and selfies and all of these things people did um, because we all just collectively shared what photos we took, but I was the only person that didn't really take anything. Um, Yeah. I didn't even really have a camera phone with me. So um, it was kind of weird. And uh, I I would say it, it sort of brought back a lot of the old feelings of when I was a kid of like, wow, like I just had this amazing life moment with people. And I actually didn't document it at all. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't even make any effort to do that. Um, And so I started thinking, you know, I really should actually be taking more photos. Like I should be making photos. Like, um, Do you think your connection to that trip was stronger because you were more into it versus, you know, like I wonder like the moments in my life that I have such a strong connection with, like like that visceral, like, full life experience with and it's very seldom when i'm like with my phone in my hand or like being Mm -hmm. consciously documenting the moment so i'm curious if like you think like the separation between yourself and that experience without like the distraction of your iphone or whatever it might be yeah gave you a little bit more of a connection to the moments um i'm sure it did uh the reason why the experience was pretty pivotal for me was it was pretty much the first time I'd ever left my hometown, um, really left even my own state, like of my, on my own terms. Mm. Um, like it wasn't a family trip. It wasn't anything like that. And I come from a large family. So, um, in a way I felt like I had six months to actually see myself, uh, pretty much on my own terms for the first time. Uh Um, and everybody else was, not like in a, in an identical place, but a similar place in life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were all in our twenties, mid twenties, late twenties. Um, and we all sort of had the same, I think motivation, um, 
you know, we, <clears throat> the purpose of it was to, to find a, a deeper sense of meaning through, through living, um, and doing that also with other people. And so I, I looking back on it, like, I don't regret that, um, you know, that I spent so much time without a camera. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the one thing I do regret, regret though, is, um, <clears throat> the majority of my memory of that experience has been shaped, uh, you know, by photos I never made. And so, um, you know, the human brain is as impressive as it is, you know, we, we, we don't use all of it. And, um, you know, we don't really retain every detail of the experiences we have. Uh, and that's part of, I guess the reminder I sort of had about photography, you know, the importance of a second and, and how much that second can mean you know, years and years down the road. Um, I just think, you know, photos have a lot of potential to do a lot. Um, and sometimes I don't even think we fully can really appreciate in the moment just how much it will matter, mm-hmm. um, you know, because we don't, as humans, have the capacity to, to see forward into the future or see forward into, um, you know, when the last time is we were with somebody or, um, yeah. Totally. You're saying, and then that, sort of trip pushed you into sort of your your photographic journey like talk to me mm-hmm. about like how quickly after that trip were you like all right i need to go buy a camera <laughs> uh the first thing i did when i got back to the states <clears throat> was uh i bought an iphone for us oh, nice. <laughs> yeah um i could not afford a camera but i knew um i i loved apple you know i loved apple ipods and all the other apple products and um I was fascinated by the camera phone or the smartphone they developed. Mm-hmm. The smartphones had been around for a while, you know, Android and other devices had cameras on them, but Apple's approach to photography uh, with their devices, um, it just felt so different. Uh, <clears throat> also, there was a significant advantage to having an iPhone back then because uh, Instagram was made for iPhone. It was developed for iOS. I did not know and, that. Um, yeah, so um, <clears throat> I wanted something to, uh, you know, to be able to share photos because a lot of my friends had started to, you know, use Instagram. Um, and it was like a fun little photo community. Um, but, yeah, uh, I had a iPhone for several years, and then it probably wasn't until – gosh 2014 sometime and ended up finally getting a camera um and i got a like a canon t3 oh nice um yeah so uh you know my process with using devices was very gradual it felt very slow um but i just made a ton of photos um most of it not really with the intention of ever being an artist um because i just I lacked the confidence even during them to believe that I could actually, you know, be an artist or do that in my lifetime. Why is that? Um, uh, I think just because of personal reasons, like, Mm -hmm. um, growing up, I, uh, always dealt with anxiety, always dealt with, um, just almost unattainable standards that I put over myself. Mm -hmm. Um, really being my own worst critic, like, far more accepting of other people's faults than mine or flaws. And, um, you know, to be an artist or to be somebody that makes things, 
uh, where it's not only just measured by, um, you know, how much it resonates with people, but really before that, before any of that, it's, it's measured by, you know, why you made it, um, what it means to you. Um, you know, if there's, if there's depth to it and, um, in a lot of my self-teaching of photography, I was, uh, avidly consuming photo blogs and watching YouTube videos, uh, you know, from very established photographers talking about their photos. And, um, I was like, there's <laughs> like all these national geographic guys, all these Magnum photographers, uh, you know. Uh, I felt like there was this massive yeah. like channel of water that I would have to swim through before I could ever get to that point. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so how much know, I did, just... did any of that ever factor into like the things that you were using to create your work? Because early on, and I think this was like totally irrational on my behalf, but like when I was initially starting off, I was like, well, I'm using like a really shitty camera, right? So I can't be a serious photographer if I'm using a really shitty oh. camera. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it totally impacted it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can't tell you how many times, like, I went, <laughs> I would go to bed thinking, you know, I really just need like a Canon 5D Mark III. Yeah. And like, if I can get that then I'll be able to make a good photograph. Um, <laughs> it's or, so funny how much <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think a lot of, I think a lot of people went through that. And, that. and I think even today, like people still deal with, with that to some degree, because, um, and this is something that can, you know, obviously it, it's a lot to unpack, but, um, there, there is some like really amazing beauty to the photography community. Um, but one of the aspects of the photography community is that, um, new photographers entering into it, like myself, when I entered into it, um, I, I felt like somebody going into the gym to lift weights for the first time. And <laughs> yeah. it was like a CrossFit competition. Um, <laughs> like I was like, wait, like what? Like, there's no way I can do that. Like, why am I here? Um. And I think, you know, to your point about like imposter syndrome and some other things that we discussed in shorter spaces, like, you know, it's very easy to just uh, immediately compare ourselves to other people totally. or compare ourselves to, uh, you know, the gear that other people have. And, you know, we associate, I would say, the growth or the, um, the uniqueness or the personality of that individual based off of what they make mm -hmm. uh because i think photography compared to other art forms uh really is measured pretty heavily on the results of what you get um and i think especially uh you know in talking with other photographers and, and you've probably experienced this too uh, if people are talking about a photo usually the first questions that come up is uh technical like what was this shot at? Mm -hmm. What was it shot on? You know, people are always looking for finding ways to like more accurately express themselves visually. Mm -hmm. And if something resonates with them, they want to lean into that. And I think it's, yeah, I, I definitely think that, you know, when I was teaching myself photography um, and I had a camera that could barely shoot two frames a second, it was <laughs> very easy to tell myself that um, it was limiting the answer. Here, yeah. Yeah, the answer was to spend more money. Yeah, um, which it wasn't. Yeah, but you know that's. It is funny because yeah. that was like one of the first lessons I learned early on, dude. I cycled through 
a vast array of gear in like a year i owned pretty much every camera system you can imagine like i went from a yeah. canon 5d mark 4 to the fuji x100f to the x pro 2 to the xt3 uh to the eos r to the Leica m6 and like i just for the longest time was struggling with the fact that i couldn't put my finger on what the separation between my tool and my art was. And then it took like, you know, a year for me to realize it was just me. Like I was putting myself in the way of my own creativity. Um, but what a valuable lesson it was to learn, (laughs) you know, (laughs) albeit an expensive one. (laughs) Um, you mentioned, you mentioned that you early on struggle with confidence and sort of like that imposter syndrome, like, or who are you? How are you to start this journey? Um, I'm curious at what point did that switch for you from a confidence perspective? Like what, what about your journey in the field sort of flipped the switch to let you make you feel like you belonged and what gives you confidence now in your artwork? Uh, well, when I was in college, I, uh, I did take one photography course and, um, my professor was great. He was a nice guy. Uh, he was primarily interested in game design though. Um, hmm. and, uh, his teaching of the photography course, I think was because the main professor teaching it was, um, like just needed a, an extra class we taken off of his hands or something. So, um, a lot of our like courses or coursework was around Photoshop and like a lot of photo manipulation, a lot of photo editing, um, which was fine. But, um, I, you know, I never gravitated towards the type of photography where I was, you know, cut and paste, cutting and pasting out entire cityscapes, entire, <laughs> um, at, like almost entire subjects or like entire backgrounds. Um, not that that's not great or not that it's not photography. It, it totally is. Um, but, you know, again, I was in a very weird corner with where I started to photography to begin with. Mm-hmm. You know, I was working with a camera that basically shot a frame a second and um, it was not a high resolution camera. So, you know, a lot of photography I did was taking portraits of friends, taking, um, you know, landscape photos whenever we went places. Uh, yeah, I worked two jobs to pay for college. Uh, so a lot of my free time it wasn't exactly free. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to always be making money in order to put myself through school. Um, and it paid off. I mean, it did help. Um, but it left very little time for creativity. Sure. And so, um, at some point, uh, I can't remember what it was. I think I got the chance to photograph an event or something. And, uh, uh, someone told me that I should put together a website or a portfolio. And, um, eventually what ended up happening was I got the chance to, uh, be one of the two photo editors who sort of ran the photo department at the school paper. Um, and it was kind of a, a crazy gig that I got because I didn't think I would actually get the job. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went out on the field and, help them cover i think a baseball game or something photograph that and um yeah i got this amazing photo and i had never used like a, a canon you know 1d or anything huge like that um but i <laughs> i i told them that i could handle the 
you know, the tech if they actually put it in my hands and, and let me show what I could do. Mm-hmm. And so they sort of gave me a trial run of, okay, well, you know, here's an assignment, go do this. And um, I got a photo, even though I'm not a, an athletic or an athlete photographer or a sports photographer, um, where like the picture and the ball and everything was just completely in focus. It was all tack sharp. And um, they were like, okay, like, yeah, like this is actually, this is exactly, you know, what we need, what we want. And so uh, it was a big boost to me because at that point I basically got to help, you know, lead and work with a team of like 15 other students who were in the journalism department. And, um, you know, we got to talk about photography. We got to teach them how to use cameras. Um, You know, we became sort of, you know, pseudo teachers or like, you know, student teachers, um, you know, to help other journalism students understand the importance of, you know, how you point a camera, why you point it. Um, and I think really what was, what was cool about it is, you know, it, it was, it was a school paper. So it, it wasn't like a high, like a high demanding, high pressure publication. <clears throat> it was um, a good way to be used you know, into it. Like in New York or anything like that. Um, but it really gave me the chance to actually just enjoy an aspect of photography um, uh, while also growing in the chance to talk with people about everything I'd been teaching myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the best ways to learn something is to teach it. So, um, yeah, I, I felt a really, um, you know, tremendous sense of gratitude for that. And I think that that was probably when the switch happened. Um, and when I graduated at that point, I was like, you know, I've photographed sporting events, I've photographed people, I've obviously helped other photographers. So there's no reason to say that I couldn't, um, you know, couldn't do this more, uh, you know, in more of a full-time capacity. And so uh, I started photographing weddings, started photographing some engagements. Um, and in the middle of that, <clears throat> I uh, was in the process of working. Uh, I really wanted to pay down my student loans as much as possible. So I feel that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I was not spending a lot of money on creative projects or investing into, you know, my creative work, uh, which I think is a regret that I do have, but that's okay. Um, because I've learned from it. Um, yeah, I I think the biggest switch, the largest switch that happened with my photography, uh, started a little bit before last summer. Um, when COVID happened, I, I had a lot going on. Um, I lost my job. I had a lot of things going on in my family. Um, like my, my parents were, you know, going through a divorce and I had friends who, um, who unbeknownst to each other, you know, they were from, from different groups, but they were telling me they were, you know, suicidal. Others told me that they, you know, that they were. Um, and I, and, um, I had other friends, telling me that they some other life stuff that just it really just hits you deep Mm -hmm. like it just it was a massive reality check um and in the middle of all of that um you know all of my camera gear except for my film camera got stolen oh shit out of my car yeah so um you know i found myself you know back in an industry that i didn't want to be in um and it felt like everything in my life was just a bunch of dumpster fires. <laughs> hmm. um, and 
it was it was rugged, man. Like I'm not gonna lie. I I know people say that you know life is difficult and everything, and um, I mean it is. But um, there was definitely a point where I just wasn't sure what to do about it all. Yeah, and, it's like um, that when everything's compounding like that. You know, I had a very similar experience throughout the pandemic. But when everything's compounding like that, you feel like you're underwater and you're trying to swim to the surface, and you're just not sure if you're gonna get that breath. You're like, when am I gonna get this respite? Right? Like, when is this gonna all? Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. Um, so I sort of had this epiphany one day, uh, and I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Sherman Show. Of course. <laughs> it's an old Jim Carrey film. But, yeah. Um, yeah, that that whole movie, you know, really symbolized just, you know, what he thought his life was versus what it actually is. Mm-hmm. And um, at this moment, dude, where uh, I, I just looked in the mirror and I was like, what am I doing? I think I had like a really bad panic attack or something. And it was just after that, uh, I got to the point where I was like, there's something off. Like uh, there's clearly a piece of me that I'm not actually, um, like fostering. There's a piece of me that I'm not, uh, growing mm-hmm. there. There's, there's something in my life that's, um, that needs to be opened up. And, uh, I, I came to the conclusion that really that's because for years I had wanted to um, really push towards working full time in a creative capacity, um, you know, using photography to ultimately lead into also doing short films. And um, you know, in my mind, I had a very clear idea of, of who I wanted to be. Uh, and the reality check I received was that those ideas were amazing and those ideas were great. Um, but when it came time to actually backing up what I was doing to actually work towards that, mm-hmm. um, I found that I was basically scared. Um, and that fear really, I think was just because, um, there were a lot of other things going on in my life that felt like justifications for why something, you know, couldn't be invested into or something shouldn't be invested into, um, and I'm sure you, to some degree, like as a photographer, probably dealt with the same thing. You know, totally. we, we, you know, in our conversations, it, it sounds like you have. And I know anybody listening to this as a photographer, like, probably <laughs> will be like, "Wow, yeah, like, I've totally been there." Um, and yeah, it was pretty daunting. Um, but uh, I decided the best thing to do was essentially take a risk, and not just take a risk, but take a risk of doing something that. Um, usually I would just rationalize away as not being possible. And so I saved up money and, um, I, you know, I regained my camera gear back. Um, I got some replacement gear. It wasn't all of it, um, but it was enough. And, uh, yeah, I left Virginia and cause that was, that's my home, home state, home area. And, um, I lived on my Jeep for five months. And I just photographed the United States and the whole premise to the creative project was essentially to show the reemergence of people. Um, you know, the reemergence of daily life, the reemergence of, of basically human activity, human interaction, human everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that was because I felt it was a narrative in my life uh, that needed to be explored and shared. And I, I knew with as much as COVID had done 
to uh, my communities and um, you know my life circumstances and all of that that uh, it obviously had an equal or even greater reaction or impact on other people's lives mm. and so yeah that's that, pretty that was kind of that's pretty fucking cool I, I mean I had an extremely similar situation I was working a regular job I work for a real estate developer uh, I got laid off in August of 2020 had yep. a full-blown panic attack, anxiety attack, identity crisis. Who am I? What am I doing with my life? Like, I'm 34 years old, 30, whatever it was, two years ago. And I just, like, had a massive collapse in, like, my identity of who I was. Mm-hmm. And I had an extremely similar experience. I literally packed my Jeep. I went on the road for 30-something days. Drove around That's the country. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so fucking funny, man. I, you know, I drove around the country for about a month. I took hundreds of rolls. You know, I think I shot like a hundred and something rolls of film mm-hmm. and like found myself. Like, I know it's so cheesy and cliche to say, and it's like the most fucking cliche thing on, on earth, <clears> but like I figured out what the important things in my life were. It wasn't like a job, it wasn't uh, a status, it wasn't a car, a house, a watch, a thing that I can. Look, you know, point to that is like my status of success in life. It was finding a path that filled me up both like emotionally and like creatively. And, you know, when you go through what the world has gone through over the course of the last two years, you, you put into context the things that are important. It's like your friend's health, your family's health, and your own health. Like happiness and health are the only important things in life because they're the only things that matter. If you're not happy, mm-hmm. you're going to be miserable. It's not going to matter whether you're making $2 million a year or $20 a year. And if you're not healthy, like, you know, it's it's hard to, to live a, a happy existence if, you're, if you don't have your own health. And I think while dealing with all those emotional aspects of what transpired in August of 2020 and into September for myself, the growth that I've experienced over that time period has been the single most rewarding thing in my life. Um, yeah. I, I often ask myself... If 25-year-old John could have learned the lessons of 35-year-old John, and I'm curious if you've ever considered the same fact, right? So like Dean two years ago to Dean 10 years ago, do you think Dean 10 years ago could have learned the lessons that Dean two years ago learned? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, I actually, uh, I used to imagine sometimes meeting a past version of myself or a future version of myself and what those interactions would be. That sounds totally narcissistic, but I promise it's not. <laughs> it's just, um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I spend so much time thinking, um, that it can, it can almost be like having, uh, you know, like a 12 cylinder motor in a car that really needs a four. <clears throat> um, it can be a lot at times. And, uh, you know, um, I definitely would say that that was a crutch that I used in, you know, my late teens, early twenties, um, where it's like, oh my gosh, I just, you know, I have so much to think about or, oh, it's a tin. Like really, I mean, I think that, uh, in, in total honesty, there was a lot that just was outside of my control and, <clears throat> um, for whatever reason, I either believed that 
um, I was to blame for that or it was somehow my duty and responsibility to be in charge of that. Um, and coming from like a big family and being the oldest of six kids, I think a lot of that really just came into the fact that there were a lot of times when I was younger where, um, I had to be more than just, you know, a kid in the family. Mm -hmm. Um, there were times that I had to, um, you know, be something that really didn't suit my age. And so, um, I think that what that did was it just, in my mind, it almost like <laughs> preemptively aged me. Mm. Um, like I, I remember being 16, 17 and, and people told me that I thought and talked like a 40 year old. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, it, I mean, it was weird, but it like to a certain degree, it's just because I, I Life definitely had this. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Um, you know, I don't, I don't need to trauma dump or, or go into all of that on here, but just, you know, cause everybody has stuff that they've been through. Um, you know, my experiences aren't special because some of them were negative, but, um, but they are who yeah, make you, you, they, they are, who, they are what make me, um, they are, you know, some of the ingredients that got put in the bowl. And, um, yeah, I think that what I would probably tell myself, uh, just maybe at the age of 15 or 16 um, uh, was just that it's okay to be your age. Um, it, it's a, it's okay to not actually have everything figured out. Um, oh, and yeah. the pressure to have everything figured out um, is not uh, actually a pressure that you need to have um, ever in order to be happy. Yeah. You know, I'm so glad you, I'm so glad you said that because like for me, a lot of my life has been about that. Right. It's like, um, you go to high school to, and get good grades. So you go to college and get good grades. So you can get a good job and a nice house and a good car and a marriage and a white picket fence and 2.5 kids and like all these things mm -hmm. that like, I never mm -hmm. really stopped to consider. I have none of them in what is the perfect situation for me. Right. Like, yeah, I think so much of, like so much of my twenties were spent trying to pretend to be something that I wasn't that I never stopped to think that it's okay to not know what I want to be or who I want to be or what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I have a lot of friends that had dealt with similar things. Um, and I, I will say just the, the close friends I have, uh, pretty much are the reason why I'm the person I am today. Mm -hmm. I can't even tell you, dude, how grateful I am for, and, and if they hear this, they, they know who they are. <laughs> um, those people are literally the reason that, um, that I'm not just, <laughs> just dry bones inside. Mm. Um, I am so grateful for, for the people I have. And, um, yeah, I, I definitely think that, uh, like in my twenties, a lot of what I dealt with and, and a lot of what I'm sort of finding that I'm having to handle the, uh, the repercussions and the consequences of is that there were a lot of things in my twenties that I didn't need to be doing. Um, mm -hmm. but out of some form of emotional hook, uh, or some form of, uh, unspoken expectation, there was this sense of duty that I had to, to be around and 
um, to be something for other people <clears throat> that I didn't really need to be. And, uh, you know, the watershed moment of that was when, um, like during COVID and everything, I came to the reali realization that like, I, I couldn't handle everything. And the reason why I couldn't handle everything was because a lot of what I was handling wasn't actually, um, you know, in my life, it was not something that was, that was specifically something within my scope of control. Mm. Um, and I never really thought that I had a control problem. Uh, you know, I've never been OCD or anything like that. Um, but I've always been the person that would get a phone call to in the morning. I was always the person that, um, one of my parents would talk to about problems when really in reality, they didn't need to be doing that. Um, you know, and that's not a criticism of them. That's just, you know, one of the aspects of, just of a fact. um, yeah, you know, of, of how things happen and, and how life happens. Um, you know, I think the, and, the greatest realization I had in life is like realizing that like right now I'm the same age my parents were when they had me and like yeah. how woefully unprepared I am for that life. So it's like whenever you start reaching those like milestones and ages in your life where you start realizing that the other people who went through these things were feeling the same way we were, it puts into context mm -hmm. like how other people's, you know, traumas and other people's insecurities make sense because it's the mm -hmm. commonality of men. It's like how we may walk different paths. We may be white, black, yellow, green, orange, blue, gay, straight, whatever. But the truth of the matter is we're all still just trying to figure this fucking thing out the best that we can, the best that we know how. Yeah, um, that is um, that is a huge reason why when I have been in like photography discussions, I I take the the sort of optimistic stance that I do, and it's something that either is really well received or is immediately criticized. <laughs> um, because big uh, shocker in life. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you've heard me say it before, and I've I've unpacked it a few different times, but like generally my my outlook at the moment you know and it might change when i turn 40 but um my outlook at the moment is that we really actually haven't seen the best days of photography yet mm. um and that you know as a photographer like as a creative person you know so much of of what we make and what we share even if uh we get told that photographs don't need to have meaning or they don't need to have any type of you know human uh, factor to them they do you know because every photo was made by a person so um i yeah i i really believe that that there's a extremely like a, an immensely bright future uh for photography and for visual content um and i and i really like am leery or eerie to <laughs> um hesitant to say like you know, photography is content. Um, but I think yeah. that the, yeah, the, the primary ways that I believe people are going to consume photography for the near future and the somewhat near future is it's going to be on content related platforms. Mm -hmm. Um, that's just how it will be mass consumed. Uh, but yeah, I, I struggle with believing that the, the days of photography have sort of passed us by because, um, photography has barely been around for two centuries and even out of those two centuries if you were asked to um to name uh you know 
a hundred great photographers, you could probably pick some. But mm-hmm. then if you were told to name a hundred great photographers from Cambodia, or if you were told to name a hundred like iconic photographers from China, if you were told to do any of that, most people wouldn't really actually be able to. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because as a community online right now, a lot of what we experience about the photography community is very rooted in, you know, America, Europe, parts of Asia, um, parts of South America too. Uh, but really you know, just with everything going on in tech and, and with platforms and, and the way that people are starting to, uh, you know, use creativity and, 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 you know, the creator economy is opening up. Um, man. Based on that, on that, that statement, I'm curious what your relationship is like with social media. Um, so very early on in my creative career, uh, I was like social media obsessed. If I wasn't getting a certain number of likes on something or Mm -hmm. certain number of followers per week or whatever, you know, if I wasn't getting posted on a feature account, I was deeming the things that I was doing as a failure because I was putting a lot of stock in, in what the social media validation said about my work. So I'm curious what your relationship is like with social media. So, um, I, I used to use Instagram when I was originally sort of growing in photography as a way to connect with artists who I felt like I could actually access. Mm -hmm. Um, meaning that if you went on the national geographic website, you would not be able to just read comments and explore how people are discussing Steve McCurry's work. Mm-hmm. Um, you could see articles, you could watch workshops, you could do all of those things, but those are, you know, those are more traditional avenues for being able to, to understand an artist mm-hmm. and get to engage with an artist, right? Social media took all that away. Social media made it where, um, even if it's a manager running their account, you could not only see the photo and see the conversation around the photo, uh, you could actually participate in it. You could engage in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it was definitely a learning tool. Uh, the sort of shadow side to that is I think I'll, myself, among many other photographers, started to associate photography as um, as basically what they were consuming on Instagram or what they were consuming on Facebook. Uh, and it's, and it really compacted, I think the definition of how we, how we, or it compacted how we defined photography. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I mean, if you said Canon 5D Mark III, 35, 1.4 EF, um, you could just envision, you know, somebody in the Pacific Northwest, uh, you know, using, uh, you know, a very, very low contrast filter. Um, you can just see the really dark, almost emerald green uh, trees. And maybe it's that really iconic rope bridge that went from one side to the next. Mm-hmm. And you know, it looked otherworldly. Like there were clearly people that were, that were all channeling and growing um, in social media at that time in a similar way. And I think that that's cool. But um, I think that now my relationship with, social media is different because um i stopped looking at it as those were in essence the the definitions of what photography was and i started to look at that as just the early days and the early phases um of photography being able to essentially 
uh, grow mm-hmm. and become itself online. Um, so if you look at any human system, right, or, or any point in human history, and we talk about uh, what things were versus what they are now, you know, you can look at the Industrial Revolution and when people were developing, you know, steam engines, nobody would have thought we would have electric cars that can go zero to 60 in three seconds. <laughs> you know, yeah. nobody was considering that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, photography is no different because really I, what I'm starting to do is really lean into like the sort of human component of this, which is that um, 10 or 15 years ago, I don't think you and I would actually be having this podcast because of the fact that we were able to be in a space discussing photography when that space really was in a, was in reaction to the startup of another place called clubhouse. Mm-hmm. And I mean, clubhouse five years was, ago, we wouldn't have had this conversation. Yeah, I mean, you know, clubhouse was a reaction to the lack of free and open discussion that people could have about things online. And so it's like, without driving yourself crazy, you know, you can find all of those different dots and try to connect them and be like, geez, like that's nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, but humans complicate things. Totally. Like we always, we always start something simple so that it can be, it can be very easily understood. Mm-hmm. And then from that point on, it continues to expand. Um, so I think of social media and photography going forward is not going to look the way that it has. I don't think that you're going to see um, it being defined as heavily by people who have significant followings or in you know the top 100 i think that it's going to it's going to really explore and blow up in terms of actual community mm. um and how i'm finding that in my own life and what i'm doing now is uh <laughs> even though i'm still trying to get good at doing it 100 percent of the time um if someone follows me i send them a message i say hey thanks for following me always open to talk about photography, like appreciate you seeing my work. I love your work as well. Um, I try to open conversations, even if other people aren't interested. Um, because I think that's a, that's a really key aspect of why any of us are doing this. Um, you know, even if it's, uh, you know, a photographic goal to, to make a book instead of shooting a campaign for Audi, you know, we all have a reason for, for why we resonate mm-hmm. with this type of art. Oh yeah. So I think it's cool because you know, I, I so I've moved beyond this sort of love hate relationship that I have with social media. And now I, it's like a place that I go to, to get inspired. Right. Like I, I love seeing, you know, people that I've now can consult, consider a friend like you, our, our mutual friend, Tyler James, a guy who I met on Instagram a few years ago. Um, you know, it's just, it's cool how I can look at the artworks of, people who are everyday photographers like you and me to like, like you mentioned, Steve, uh, McCurry, McCurry, I forget Mm -hmm. his name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for shooting for Nat Geo, who's got tens of millions of followers and, and doing incredible work. It's a place that can inspire me to create. And what's nice is like these conversations that I have in these Twitter spaces on my podcast with other creators, it's a, it's, it's just filling, right? Like it fills my Mm -hmm. cup up with that like creative juice and that creative push that I need to go out and make my own work, um, which has been awesome. Um, so I'm curious in, in terms of your own photography, um, you know, from uh, going out on a Monday afternoon, Monday morning to go create work, like what inspires you? Who inspires you? Like what makes you get out of bed in the morning to, to go make pictures? Um, okay. 
quick question on that. So when you're saying who inspires me and what inspires me, are you looking for, you know, people I look up to, or is it more of like an internal thing? Both. Have you both, both. Okay. Um, well, I will say internally, um, I think that my biggest motivation with making photos is, uh, I really enjoy being alive. <laughs> um, <laughs> that too. sounds so, yeah. I mean, like that sounds so basic and it's like, wow, like I'm glad Dean, but, um, no, I really do. Um, I, I'm grateful for every day that I have. Uh, and I, I, I can tell you, I don't really know if I would have, I would have been able to come to a place of realizing that unless I had been in a position where, um, you know, I had to question if I would have friends in my life again. Um, it's, it's fascinating how, you know, moments in your life can, can really realign your thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, and without like sounding like I beat myself up all the time, there's now this internal piece of me that didn't used to speak very loudly. And it, it usually now is along the saying something along the lines of um, like you have today, uh, you know, you had yesterday, you had the day before that. Um, yeah. But right now you pretty much have today, Like you really only have today. Um, and that's really been the biggest push for me, uh, which is that if for some reason something happened or if I didn't get the chance to live to a very old age, uh, what would what would in essence be the the story or the version of my life that people shared? Hmm. You know, how would it be talked about? Um, not in a in a way to sort of memorialize myself, um, but I think the reason why all of us have uh, the ability to grow as people is because the stories and the lives of others have been able to, to shape us and really guide us. And I think that we very often unconsciously are moved and influenced by things in our lives, uh, even when we don't think that we really are. Hmm. I um, love that. And so, yeah, if I'm out making photos, it's because I know it's something I love to do. If I'm out doing something creative, it's because I know it's, it's what I love to do. And it's what I enjoy doing and it's who I am. It doesn't mean that I need to um, photograph for a brand in order to have a sense of value. It also doesn't mean that I can't photograph for a brand because it, you know, pains me at the soul of my being or anything <laughs> like that. It's um, no, it's, it's a lot more holistic. And um, I think that, uh, there are a lot of photographers who have inspired me. Um, more and more, my inspiration is coming from people that <clears throat> uh, are almost in a similar place that I am. Um, folks who are, you know, less established, but like very clearly um, are kind of having a, a similar epiphany in their life of realizing what they love and why they're doing it. Um, and it's just so cool. Uh, yeah, I, there's a laundry list of people I could mention. Um, but yeah, it, it's really great. Um, That's awesome. 
Yeah, I think yeah. it's. I, I think I, I came to this creative life late in life, right? It's funny how you you know you're talking about taking pictures at family parties. Like when when we cleared my parents' house out, you know, six months ago when they sold their home, I found all of these sort of point and shoot, you know, wind up cameras like you were mentioned that I shot like when I was in like fifth, sixth grade, like school trips, all these things. So there was like always an, an affinity for photography. There was always me taking pictures that I just I guess some somewhere in you know 12 to 14 I lost right you start playing sports Mm -hmm. you start getting distracted by school and I lost that and I came back to it so late in life and it's been one of the most incredible things because I'm seeing life differently and my life is better for that and Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times in life it's very easy for people to get stuck in in a groove stuck in a position where they don't feel like they have the opportunity to change things about themselves or what they're doing and what I've been blessed with is the opportunity through trauma right losing my job not a great situation been able to be sort of like reborn into this new life that I, I you know I'm thankful for each and every day which is pretty pretty incredible um, I like to spend the last bit of every podcast doing sort of like a Q&A um, some of the questions are super easy some are a little in-depth um, first thing or a couple things that come to mind um, but uh, yeah so first question what is your favorite book favorite book oh my god um <clears throat> Uh my gosh, I have to pick a favorite book. <laughs> you could you could pick a couple. <laughs> um, all right, yeah. Um uh in high school my favorite book was The Great Gatsby. Yeah. Um nice. Yeah. I think if I could pick a book, um a photo book, even though it's gonna it's gonna sound like a total fanboy moment. Um I, I really actually loved uh, NYC. I love you, which was oh, Joe yeah. Greer's first photo book. I, I that have he that made. as well. Yeah, um, yeah, beautiful photographs. Uh, really, really cool. Um, if I could pick a book, I think that probably meant the most to me. Even though it sounds, it'll sound a little dorky at first. Is uh, there was an old uh, comic called Calvin and Hobbes, mm-hmm. written by a guy named Bill Watterson. And uh, the last book that was ever made of his work was called It's a Magical World. And um, yeah, that, that was a really, that was a really special thing for me growing up, like as a kid. And so I think like if I could have a few, those would probably be the three books I would want to have. I like that. Uh, favorite movie? Favorite movie is The Secret Life of Ultimate. Dude, yes. that's one of mine too. <laughs> yeah. Um, Not enough people yeah, have seen I, that movie. Dude, I went to the theaters and saw that thing, and I I hadn't even seen the trailer. I, well, I think I saw part of the trailer, but I didn't even know what the movie was about. I had been told that it was a remake of some old character or something. I was mm-hmm. like, uh, all right. But, I mean, it's Ben Stiller, and it looks like he goes to Iceland. That's kind of cool. So, um, dog, I, I, like, cried at the end of that movie. <laughs> it's, it is... I watch that movie. I want to say, I'm not going to say every week, but once or twice a month, I watch that movie. When I need to pick yeah. me up, when I need something to sort of like light me up, I watch that movie. It is, yeah. it is beautiful um, storytelling. It is cinematically beautiful and it is so relatable. 
that I, it's shocking oh how many times I have yeah, this conversation so with people. They're like, I've never seen it. Ben Stiller and Sean Penn's characters. Um, I'm not going to run the moment for people who haven't seen it, but the moment when they interact with each other towards the end of the film and the conversation they have, I just remember being in the theater and thinking, this is literally two halves of my brain talking right now. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I could just, I could resonate with both of them. Um, and I just saw, I, I just received so much inspiration for, from uh, that movie. Dude, I fucking yeah. love that. Uh, what's your favorite food? Yeah. Favorite food. Um, you know, pizza's great. Um, I also really like, uh, Indian curry. Mm. Uh, so like masala, which probably I guess out of like Indian food is probably the more stereotypical one you order. But, um, in up in the mountains in North Carolina, there's this Indian restaurant near where some of my relatives live and, um, it's a small mountain town, but they do amazing food and they have a, a tikka masala, but they make it with like smoked salmon instead of chicken. And that, that is, that's incredible. That yeah, sounds- that's life-changing food right there. Yeah, huh. yeah, that sounds good. Um, do you yeah. believe in an afterlife? Absolutely, yeah. Dude, it's crazy. Yeah. So I've been asking that question 60-something times now. I'm going on like 90-plus percent of people saying that they they think so. And I got to tell you, that's super reassuring for mankind for me and uh, something that makes me genuinely happy. Um, speaking of happy, are you happy? Am I happy? Um. <laughs> I would say that generally, yes. I think uh, can't ask for much more. No, you can't. Um, I think that. So this, I mean, this could make your podcast go on an hour, and I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> do that to you, but um, I don't think we're supposed to be happy a hundred percent of the time. Oh no, I agree. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't think humans are given a spectrum of emotion. Uh, to then only use one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, so that that's a whole other thing. But sure. Yeah. Um, no. What's your biggest fear? Oh my god, biggest fear. Um, so uh, my biggest fear. Uh, I used to be very afraid of. Uh, deep water um i used to have i i almost drowned as a kid Mm -hmm. and so um that happened when i was like four or five i like fell into the deep end of the pool and i couldn't get back out and uh some of my cousins ended up getting me out of the pool but after that i sort of had this weird relationship with water like i I love swimming and stuff but but yeah um deep water that i could see to the bottom of no issue deep water that I couldn't see the bottom of that was, yeah, that was freezing. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I would say that it's gotten better over the years. Definitely. Um, but yeah, I also think that, um, a a small piece of that fear was linked to, uh, you know, like fear of the unknown fear of what I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally. being an overthinker that can, that can definitely have some symbolism in your dreams. So. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. what's your, what's your biggest dream? My biggest dream. Um, my biggest dream. 
I think my biggest dream would be to uh, pretty much do the best, become the best version of myself that I can. Um, Fucking love that. Not, yeah. Um, If you had asked me a few years ago, I probably would have told you, oh, you know, I want to be the next so-and-so or I want to be the next this person. Um, And I've leaned more and more into accepting that those people have already existed or they do already exist. And um, I don't really need to, to become them in order to actually become the best thing I can be. Um, Yeah. Nobody else is going to be able to say that they were Dean. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's cool because it means I have an exclusive on something, Um, (laughs) but it's funny. I was actually, I was actually talking to um, a fellow photographer about this in Seattle. His name's Vince Perry. He's awesome. And um, uh, well, really the conversation sort of came up because of uh, we were talking about the expectations uh, that the creative community has on well-known photographers and and well-known creators. Um, And I, as, as weird as it sounds, I just feel like the expectations that people have on them are too high. Mm-hmm. Like that sounds weird, but, um, I think there's, there's so much pressure and so much desire from people to, um, you know, to be into the community, to be with the community of a well-known photographer or with a well-known artist. And there's obviously this hunger for people to have that connection and that community. Right. Um, but really I think what's behind that, um, is really people want to accept themselves uh, without, <laughs> and that, you know, might be a hot take that some people don't like. No, no, but, I, I agree completely. Um, yeah. I, I think that everybody who's an artist at some point goes through a period where they, where they model or, or they emulate someone in a, in a act of trying to really break down and come to the best definition of who they are. And, um, yeah. So I, I think that really, if, if I have one dream, it's, I want to be the best the best of myself that I can be. Nah, um, I love that, man. That's, that's, yeah. a per- I mean, that's a good one to have for sure. Um, yeah. what's the best piece of advice someone's ever given you? Oh my gosh, dude, your questions. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. Best piece of advice I ever got. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I think the best piece of advice that someone ever gave me um, was uh, you have time. Hmm. Um, Because for a while I thought that um, based off of, you know, not really applying myself the way that I should have when I was younger or the way that I, um, that I failed to, you know, actually commit to, becoming like a um you know like what i wanted to be basically being all talk and no action Hmm. um i think the best piece of advice someone ever gave me was i have time because there was definitely a period of my life where i felt that um that i had so many in essence steps that i had to take in order to keep up with where everybody else was at um there was definitely uh a piece of me for a while that thought, Oh my gosh, like I'm just not going to do all this. Like I'm going to get too old or I'm going to this or I'm going to that. But, um, 
yeah uh failure is probably the 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 thing that i am most grateful for uh and that's because i know exactly what doesn't work and i know what doesn't what doesn't uh what <laughs> what uh, what's not getting me anywhere um and i think that being able to know that i have time means i also have time to make the mistakes to end up uh where i want to be so Dude, i fucking love 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 that that is a wildly important sentiment that I don't think enough people yeah. uh, um, can re- can relate to. Um, last yeah. last question is, what is one recommendation you have for something that you've recently consumed? Um, can be like a podcast, a TV show, a movie, a book, just something that you've recently consumed that you, that you want everyone listening today to uh, to check out. Um. I think the, oh my gosh, dude, I'm sorry. I just, I, I have a lot of things going through my head. Um, <laughs> Pick one, one, two, one, one thing, <laughs> anything. Um, da, 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 da. Let's see. Uh, well, I will preemptively tell you to just go see the new Batman movie um, because that's going to be the absolute best Batman film that's ever been made. Ooh. Um, how can you say that and you saw Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises? Because, nah, man, because <laughs> Matt Reeves has already said that this Batman is essentially going to be uh, if Kurt Cobain was a superhero locked in an old house. Boom. And I... Okay. I like yeah, that. I, I, I fuck with that. All right. <laughs> as, a, as a 90s kid, man, <laughs> just mentioned the, the godfather of, of, of grunge music and <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm there, but... Um, I would say that definitely because even though superhero movies have been bombarding the box office, I think it will actually, I think it'll be very original and very good. Mm-hmm. Um, past that, I would say um, the best thing that people could consume uh, would be, um, well, if they're photographers to actually go back to some of the very first photos they ever took. And, uh, and, and look at what those were versus where they are now. I think, um, it's really healthy to go back and not live in the past. Um, but to recognize it, um, you know, because we will never, we will spend the majority of our lives, uh, in the present moment. Um, and that present moment is both being informed by the past that we've lived in. And it's also unconsciously being guided by where we think the future is. And I think that, um, I think it's really healthy, you know, for creative people, even if they're not a photographer, maybe they're a music writer, maybe they're, maybe they've never made anything yet, or they think they haven't made anything yet. Maybe they're nobody, but it does help to look back to go forward. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, just pour a glass of wine or a cracker beer, just (laughs) spend 20, 30 minutes on that. Um, and just look at it. Um, and I think that uh, I think you'll be surprised, or they will be surprised, at how much growth they've made. And um, I think it's important to to recognize that. So I like that, Dean. Uh, you know, I, I say this often and and cheesy enough, but if you've been on my podcast, you're part of my family. 
Um, I'm super appreciative of you spending an hour with me this morning. Um, I think you're an incredibly intentional, intelligent, thoughtful human being. And I've just enjoyed our chat so very much. Uh, And I'm super, super thankful that you uh, spent the time with me here this morning on the podcast. So thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, John, this was a blast. Thank you so much for having me, dude. No problem. Take care. All right, peace.